Hello and welcome to Book Club. I'm Johnny Graham. I'm with my colleague and esteemed friend Michael Price. Today we are on the second episode relating to The Perfect Close by James Muir. Hello, Jonathan. How's it going, Pricey? That you, you, I had the whole timing to go with the little riff at the end of the bass bit then. Jonathan, I've told you before, I, I, I've been at the, at the pantomime at Christmas <laughs> before, and, I'm, and I can't clap in time oh, no, with you other haven't. people. <laughs> so there's just no point talking to you about that kind of thing. So how have we been getting on with the perfect close? I'd say how we've been getting on with it. I think it's often nice to hear a different opinion to that which I have. And I think it's fair to say okay. that some of the, expi- the opinions expressed in this book are slightly different to my own. I-, I don't think they're necessarily less or more valid. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. A different angle. A different angle. And actually, All right. is, there anything, is there anything wrong with looking at things from a different perspective? Tell me about where the perspectives are differing for you thus far, then. So we're on... Today we're going to do chapters four, five, and six. The thread that I have written in it that I am uh, uh, not keen on, I must say, is he doesn't ever seem to mention the word qualification anywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I, well, but after we record this, we're going straight into, albeit a little bit ahead of ourselves, we're going straight into actually recording the episode in which James Muir is the guest on the show. And uh, I do have a note to talk about that. But let's be clear about it. The question is, is if I was a salesperson and I followed this process, would I sell stuff? I think the outcome is probably yes. And you know what? I was getting a little bit despondent with it as a book, I must say. So I read some of the reviews that other people have put about his book. And it has actually been a sales-changing epiphany of a book for a lot of people who are very successful. Those that are fond of this book refer to it in game-changing tones at the same level that those refer to Sandler as being game-changing. Yes, I I do think it's got a Sandler-esque feeling to it. A similar cult-like following. A very similar folk, though. I think, actually, you know, this guy, for those of you who have been listening, um, and indeed those of you who haven't, he didn't start his life as a salesperson. Nor did Sandler. No. And actually... And please know we have no issue with that. No, no, not at all. But it has a very similar feel to it. So so what do I think of it? I think it's um, different to that which is necessarily my favour, but we're not here to show our personal bias. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about it. And is it any good? Yeah, it's all right. So we've got four chapters to talk about today. We've got chapter four, which is entitled Planning Equal Success, which is a very short chapter. Chapter five is called The Critical Advance. And then chapter six is called How to Set Call Objectives. Correct. Is it not? So we're going to get through those today. So the first one, planning equals success. So uh, the first thing I noticed in this particular chapter that I've really enjoyed is I love how he he quotes Neil Rackham and how that that in many respects is the underpinning theory behind a lot of what... Well, Rackham, Blount and uh, Anarino. There is three authors, aren't Yeah, Jeplin and and, and Anthony Anarino, he he quotes them a lot. I mean, the opening point of the chapter is a quote from Jeb Blunt, which is, there is one common ingredient that links virtually all successful people to their success, well-planned goals. Yeah, and I mean, I just put it, it's obviously correct. So what this chapter's about, it's very obvious, isn't it? But it's obvious to somebody that's been selling a long time. It's obvious to somebody that's been well-trained. Yes, yes. You know, when I was... At Parcel Force as a kid, you couldn't go to an appointment without showing your boss your green sheet. 
and the green sheet was your call plan. So these ideas are have been around a bit, but actually, and, and, and I've got to say, I, it, it'd be interesting to talk to, maybe do a straw poll. What, what's, what he's talking about in the chapter is actually sitting down and planning your meeting before you go. Yes, and he's one of his points here, he says, do you have clarity? Yeah, and he's bang right. Why, and he's asking key questions. Why are you with your client? Why are you engaging with the client? Do you have clarity? And then he talks about some really important stuff. You know, I've written here, makes complete sense this. As we all see, setting appropriate sales objectives for each opportunity and appropriate call objectives for each individual encounter will lead to an unbroken chain of successful advances that will ultimately lead to closing the sale and getting the order. He's right. And I think that's the point. He's saying you go to each meeting, you've got objectives. You achieve objectives, you get closer to the deal. Yes. And I think a lot of people that we're working with, what's interesting about this is I think a lot of the guys we work with believe perhaps that they might be a bit too sophisticated to sit down and write a call planning sheet before they go to an appointment. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I think that the better salespeople that I have worked with have some plan of some kind. Yeah, even if it's written in their, in their moleskin black yeah, and red book. Yeah, they've got a plan of some kind. Um, and you know he's got some. He's, the bit I one of the bits I I um, put a box around is on page forty nine. A well defined sales objective includes the following: Is it related to a specific product or service? Is it specific and measurable? It has specific target date for completion. It should be realistic from the client's perspective. I think they're four fairly good points. Well, it's really. just a basic smart objective, that isn't it? Yeah, but they're specific, four fairly good measurable, points. Specific, measurable, achievable. Absolutely. And then he makes a distinction between the sales objective and the call objective, which I think is important. Yes. Sales objective, the revenue or outcome you anticipate generating by closing. Call objective, what do you want out of that meeting? Yeah, correct. And I think that's fair. You know, I, I, I know what you mean. I think you've probably sat and read this and gone, oh, come on, mate, it's a bit facile, this. I know how to plan a meeting. Yeah, correct. But actually, I think the audience that are reading this book... And it's clearly aimed at an audience of people that perhaps are the more reluctant salesmen. I think it's badly marketed in that respect. It should be. It should be pitched in that way. I think any salesperson's just going to pick it up, aren't they? It, it, yes. It might, it'd have been better off naming it the reluctant salesman. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because they'd have got the right market there. If if you were stepping out of pre-sales into sales, this is a damn good book. Perfect. But if you really good. if you started your life at Xerox. You've been selling IT for 20 years, having worked at CAPTC, you're going to chuck it out, out the window, is what's going to happen. Yeah, and yeah, actually, yeah But are. actually what the book does is it reminds you of things that as a trained salesperson you should already know, but makes and, you look at it in a different perspective. And he's absolutely bang right. Hmm. It couldn't be more the right. The main benefit of creating call. a sales objective for each opportunity is clarity. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely 100% right. I'd love to know. I'd love to do a little straw poll of how many, you know, if you looked at, for example, our live candidate portfolio right now, how many of them and how many people in our live candidate portfolio, I wonder if, let's just say we've got 70 people, mathematically as an example, in our live candidate portfolio, and each of them's done an appointment today. Of those 70 appointments that got done today, I wonder how many were walked into with a real plan. Mm, not many, I think. I I bet ten percent, mm. but I bet that ten percent was probably done by the top ten percent. Definitely, yeah. So that's chapter four. It's pretty short. It's only about five pages, isn't it? Yeah, chapter I reckon we might get onto an extra chapter today. Don't know. 
Chapter 5, The Critical Advance. Now, this is quite an important chapter in this book, I think. This is a big part of it, and it gets referred to a lot. Yes, okay. Because he's he's laying out some really key ground rules here, isn't he? Yes, he is, yeah. So what he's talking about here is, and he gives the quote at the top of the page is, I've never heard of the guy who the quote's from. Tibor Shanto. No, never heard of that person. He's on the show next month. Um, Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Without without a next step, you are likely working with someone who is fully not engaged. A next step is a crucial delineator between real opportunities and pretend opportunities. Okay, Mike, I don't like the word next step. Why? I don't like it. I really, really don't like it. I think you've been a bit pedantic, really. What's your problem? Um, My problem is that I have a direct correlation between candidates that I've met whose careers are usually, frankly, in the shit, and the use of the vernacular when closing of while I try and establish the next steps. In the same way that I've got a bit of a downer on the phrase, trusted advisor. Gotta say, it didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't give it a second thought. Well, I did. Well, there you go. <laughs> but it, it, does that make sense? If, if you look at a lot of the people we work with, I find a lot of them, if you say to them, so if I'm drilling into a deal and I'm interviewing a candidate and I'll ask them, so tell me the meeting got to that point, then what? Oh, well, then I ask them. For example, when they're in, in interviews, well, and often they'll ask the client when they're in interviews, well, what's the next step? And the client goes, too, what the next step is, I've got three more candidates to see and you're going home. I, I think you've been really harsh there. I don't think that's by question at all. I think it's really put. I'm very, very. I don't like it, and I, and we've got James on the show in an hour when we do the the, the next. We'll have episode. to discuss that one. I don't have a problem with it at all, because for me, and we're going to come to it in a minute. For me, linguistically, I I, I wouldn't be that wishy washy. But we'll come back to what I mean by not being that wishy washy. It's interesting. So he goes in the chapter. He goes on to make a distinction between um, close critical advance. Advance. And a continuation. It's interesting, actually, because on page 57, uh, he puts some examples of... Um, he's talking about a salesperson that's not very good, that was lucky enough to be lucky enough to be mentored by him. And he was asking about the feedback uh, that was bad that the salesperson had. And, it's, and he's got a few examples. From an early contact, they mentioned... From an early contact... They mentioned they know client XYZ and really respect them. I sent them the literature. And basically, it lists 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... Continuation-based Continuation-based things. I'll tell you what so I let's thought. just give a quick distinction I put, here. I, I put, they sound like bad interview feedback, those. <laughs> Do you know what you think? Yeah. So it gives a distinction, and he's using Neil Rackham's distinction to an extent, isn't he? A close is a firm commitment to buy and advances a significant action that requires energy by the client which I do like. Yes, I thought it was... And then a a continuation is where the sale will continue, yet no specific action has been agreed upon by the customer to move forward. And what he's talking about is um, the concept of advancing a sale. Yes, and that's the crux of this chapter, the critical advance. And I think that's very important. That's one of the most important things in the book, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And he he goes back to it again later on in the chapter. And it's a significant action that requires energy by the client. It does. That's important, that requires energy by the client. It does. And we've all done it where we've got involved 
in a in a sale or a campaign where it just goes on and on but actually it never moves forward and it's uh yeah i'm gonna go and talk to so-and-so again today yeah i've got another call with so-and-so to well you see a lot I, of the time with interviews you know at what point is it going to close well do you know when it happens sometimes when you've got an interview and the client's done seven interviews and you think well actually these are continuations aren't they mm, mm, mm. it's not yeah, an advance oh he needs to meet so-and-so now and it's because actually nobody's taken control of either the procurement or the sale of the candidate to the, the organisation. And I'm sure it happens in any enterprise-level sale. I thought this was a good point. Page 59. What is the value of your time? Very druckery, druc- yeah. that. Really like that. Yeah. And the value we produce comes from the investment of our time. It's all we have. Therefore, it's critical we invest it in the best ways possible. And then he goes on to say, are you efficient or effective? It is natural when attempting to improve our productivity that we immediately seek to do the things that we already know, just faster. Yeah. It's a very fair point, that. Absolutely. Uh, and um, Where are we there? And, th- and then he talks about other stuff. He said he talks about the acid test for advances. And he puts, the acid test for an advance is action and action energy. Action and energy. Now, I didn't, like, I didn't like that, actually, I must say. I thought, how do you actually measure and quantify that? So, Mike, I want to ask you a question here, right? Yes. So, it's page 62. Yep. And he's talking about continuation versus advance. Mm. But earlier on in the book, he obviously talks a lot about the concept of manipulation. Yes. And being a, a manipulative, sharky sales guy. What's worse then? A hat-doffing, deferential sales guy who allows deals to continue or a manipulative one that gets it done and closes? Well, not, neither are good. Actually, I think the real the real value is qualifying people and closing them against that qualifying that that qualifying statement. against the agreed criteria. Correct, absolutely correct. Because I'm not for people being manipulative per se, but there's there's almost like a uh, uh, if we could draw a spectrum from the left hand side to the right hand side. The left hand side, as in not putting any pressure on a set on, on his sale, and the right hand side just generally ripping people off. This guy is right on the left hand side of the scale, isn't he? Yeah, it's no. He's not putting any pressure on. See what he doesn't do, and this process doesn't do, it doesn't affect the speed or cadence of the sale. And if you're not affecting the speed or cadence of the sale, someone else will. Yeah. You can, we'll see, get him get, you can see him losing. You could see him getting spanked by a more aggressive and more manipulative salesman. Oh, definitely, yeah. Who, walks, definitely. who might walk away with the commission, but might never sell to the client again. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, so... I'm I'm a bit torn with it, but I get his point. You know, continuation, advance, and you should be advancing a deal. Yes. But I did think sometimes the way it's like no point is he qualified a deal out, though. No. That, there's literally no mention of it. No. At all. I wrote, I don't quite know why. Does he, does he quote Robert Cialdini here somewhere? I don't Page know. 64, because I wrote at the top of the chapter, next book is influenced by Robert Cialdini. I don't know why. Maybe I was just getting a bit bored when I was reading it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, And that is a possibility. It is a possibility. Uh, uh, But what I do like, and what it did make me think about the concept of an advance, is I was always taught to train the customer, almost like you train a dog, and you train them to agree. Now, actually, the way I've worded that sounds very manipulative. Yeah, no, you just get used to them doing business with you. Yes. 
Are you so, used so if you're cadence? always getting a customer to, to to advance something, they're used to it. They so that by the time you get to the point where you say, right, I'm going to get some contracts drawn up here now. Is that all right with you? The client is used to saying yes and is used to taking action with you. Mm, I agree. And so you're getting through that point of advancing the sale a little bit more. Yeah, and like I say about this, you know, he's his definition of an advance is a, is a significant action that requires energy by the by the client. He is right, and and he's right about the the three different distinctions he give. He gives it's just a bit woolly, really, for me. But well, I know yeah. that I'm a very linear man. Yes, and you're. I think one of the things that you we've been as we said before we've been spoiled a little bit by some of the books we've read recently, where they've been very very specific, almost very scripted. Mm, mm. And therefore, it's not required much interpretation or application because the application is written out for you in the book. Yeah, very much so. Very okay. much so. Chapter six, how to set call objectives. Now, I've got to say this. If you'd never set a call objectives, this wouldn't be a bad thing to follow. No, I'm not going to jump off the fence and follow it, but I don't think it's a bad thing to follow anyway. Yes. It references Rick Page. Have you um, read Rick Page? Hope he's not, hope he's not a strategy. I have. What do you think of it? I thought the title was better than the book, actually. Uh, the only thing I can remember about the book is that it's called Hope Is Not a Strategy, and I've used that as a quote on a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I've used that right. as a quote when managing salespeople. Yeah, well, I, we're not going to review it on, on this show. What, what, what's your plan with this deal? Oh, I hope it's going to come in. Yes. <laughs> really? Well, somebody else we used to work for used to say Hope Is For Christians, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. Probably still does, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but, you know, this chapter, the, the objectives are okay. Um... I, I think it misses a couple of key points around qualification again, but I'm going to stop going on about that. Okay, so let's have a look. He talks about here, common mistakes when setting call objectives. Call objective is too general. Agreed. Good idea. Call objective is unrealistic. Yeah, good idea. Call objective is not really in advance. You know, if you were, if you were preparing for a meeting and you were thinking about those things and you had them written down, is my call objective general? Is it specific? Is it realistic? Is it in advance? They're good questions to ask before you walk yeah. into a meeting. Very good, yeah. No what is my it. advance? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Mm, How I will completely. I know that I've actually advanced this sale? They're good call objectives. Well, he it, gives you a very good example, doesn't he, of the million-dollar indulgence. Oh, go on, remind me of that. So million-dollar indulgence, basically, he just talks about some rep that's been selling to a company without qualifying them uh, and, ends up just wasting, <laughs> and ends up just wasting a bucket load of time on it. Because he's getting advances, he's able to demonstrate to more and more and more people, but at no point is somebody going to jump off the fence and buy the software. Well, he was getting continuations and not really advances. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he kept meeting this guy and that guy, and it was all on the pipeline, and everybody thought it was in the pipeline because he was meeting this guy and that guy, and the people he was meeting were quite senior, but actually they weren't real advances. Correct. Because they weren't requiring that much energy and effort from the customer, were they? That's, and, that's, and that's his point. So it's an interesting one, the whole energy and effort thing, Mike. So many years ago, when I was uh, studying NLP and hypnotherapy, and I did a little bit of hypnotherapy as part of my study, I worked with a guy called Mark Wake. And at the time I was training to get my exams passed and everything, I uh, did some smoking cessation. Okay. Yeah. And what Mark taught me as a supervisor was, he used to say, okay, here's what you do. When they ring up, to inquire because you get loads of inquiries I mean like shit loads yeah right so you ring up to, to, to do it 
you say to the punter on the end of the phone, okay, right, so you want to give up smoking, do you? Yeah, great, okay. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to, for the next week, go out, get a moleskin book and a pen, and I want you to write down every time you have a cigarette, the time at which you had it, uh, and why, and what you were feeling when you did it. And I also want you to smoke every cigarette with the opposite hand that you'd normally smoke it with. Mm. When you've done that for a week, I want you to ring me. Right? So I get, I get where you're going with this. So you get where I'm going. So by you'd get maybe 10 inquiries. You might be lucky if you'd get one out of 10 ring back. Mm. But the one out of 10 was always going to give up smoking. Yes, because they were motivated to do it. Because they were motivated to do it. And in the same way, what I think he's getting at here with an advance or that action and energy in the deal is... I, I, I think he's absolutely right. I'd like him to allude to a little bit more about tasking the client. So well, I don't, like solution selling? Yes, like in solution selling. Because I think what he does talk about a lot is action and energy is sort of, as defined by, okay, well, I'll let you meet my colleague. But for me, I don't think that's action and energy. Well, it's definitely not. That's his point in the million-dollar indulgence. Yeah, but actually, he doesn't really give. He's not. Let's get I'd right, like Johnny. to get does, more specific about it. Why do software companies try and get uh, clients into their office? Because it's action and energy. Yeah, correct. Correct. Now, quite whether the salespeople realise that's the case, but that's the case. In the same reason, a year ago, I said to you, "I'm never meeting a client again that's not in their offices." Why? Because if a client meets you off-site, it's because the hire is unsanctioned. Yeah, it's slightly different, that, isn't it? But absolutely, yeah, you know, not, not dissimilar. And then there was a good quote here, page 75. Always remember that as professionals, we don't get paid for the actions we take. We only get paid based on the actions our clients take. I liked that. Yeah, okay. What's the customer doing? I, I really liked that. that. So it, was a, a good, a, it was a great sort of quick, fast quote, but a, a useful one. And then he gets into what he calls the three magic pre-call questions, which I did think, do you know what? How very elegant... Elegant, but um, at no point does it qualify budget or the decision maker. No, it doesn't. So, I mean, they're right. And I, I just sort of hope that he has assumed that we are speaking to the, bud- the decision maker and it's qualified. I concur, because otherwise it's terrifying. Yeah. Sh- why should this client see me? Is this client a decision maker? Does this client have influence? What influence does he have? How much money has he got? Yeah. Has he got any money? Where is the money? Who signs off the money? But I, I think this is a more micro element, isn't it? Where we've assumed that he's qualified. Uh, the yes. client. And if he has qualified, and the remember, client, you can only put. Uh, and as Anthony Anarino said on the last book, when we got into some missing detail, he said, "Guys, you can only write so many words before your publisher says no." Yeah, correct. Absolutely correct. So that then, as a chapter, I thought was all right. Actually, I think if he did that on every call. They're not bad Look, things if you, to do. If you sat in your, um, let, you know, I've got to go to London on Thursday, see a client. I'm going to write in my notepad on Thursday. I am actually going to do it. Why is this client seeing me? What do I want him to do at the end of it? And how can I provide value? Fair enough. I will do that. I'll give it a go. It won't be a bad thing to do. No, I don't think so. Okay, so chapter seven then. Maybe you should use your client on this. Why should this client see me? Okay. So it's got a what's formula this? in it that I liked. I thought this was his best chapter, actually. Did you? I did, yeah. In what respect? Uh, simple. It's the most nicely written one. Um, it, it, I like a good formula. You know, I like a good formula. And it had one. Um, and I like the way it started. I will be candid and say that it's embarrassingly common for salespeople and other professionals 
to not have a clear understanding of their value proposition and the value they bring to their clients. Unfortunately, your value proposition is, missing, is mission critical information that you must have in order to succeed in selling. I think he's right. I think a lot of people go through the motions. I think they're just reps who just turn up without qualifying. And that's I his agree. point. And I think he's absolutely 100% right. I, I agree. I think that, again, if we did a straw poll of 100 salespeople that work in our space and said, to the, and said to them, okay, you've walked into a client appointment today. Why are you going there? What are you going for? If you, or if you said to them, you've walked into a client appointment today, they don't know you from Adam, they've never heard of your company, what's your elevator pitch? What's your opening? You've got 30 seconds to tell the customer why you're there. Mm. I think a lot of them don't have one prepared. I definitely don't. They just wing it. Yeah. Wing it, turn up. Yeah, okay, Mr. Customer. Absolutely. And, and that's what I like. I thought that, that chapter starts well. You know, communicating your value proposition. A value proposition is the measurable value you deliver to your clients. He's right. Yeah. He is right. Direction no plus it. metric plus magnitude. Absolutely right. Uh, and then, and then th- there's his formula. Direction plus, me- plus metric plus magnitude equals uh, value proposition. So I think that's good. I thought it was a good chapter. And what he's talking about there is, you know, what, and, and I tell you what, if you've got all the salespeople that we deal with to think about that, they'd be better for it. What? The, just that? What is your... Because they talk about value propositions. They don't know. They, a lot of people don't know what they're talking about, really. But actually, I wonder how many, and, it, and it's a little bit Steve Coogan, but how many it's people? Steve Coogan, that's no, but, I, I, no, no. But how many people? It's, it's a bit. How many people will actually stand in front of a mirror and practice the opening thirty seconds of that meeting? That moment in the meeting where the client says, "Tell me about your company." How many of them have got it where they know that is punchy as hell and relevant and on it? I, I, yeah, and if you constructed a sentence that was about direction metric and magnitude and put it in a sentence wrote, wrote that it would down, be a good sentence wrote it down on a card laminated it kept it in your car and somebody says to you in a boozer what do you do bang, bang, actually boom uh, I straight help. at you yeah I help forward thinking uh, IT companies save time money and hire better people to hit the bottom line in terms of revenue yeah that's not a bad value statement at all that no. I think people would listen to you so I thought that was a good chapter. Again, very short there. And again, a lot of that. He talks in the earlier chapters about perception and projection. Yes. And actually what would have been great there is if he'd tied that in and explained that actually your value proposition is part of the perception of you. Mm. It, that The ability to deliver that value proposition with congruence and certainty and confidence mm. in a punchy, concise way is actually a significant element of what makes the projection of the salesman and how he projects himself and therefore in turn creates the tenor of the meeting itself. I, t- I tell you what sales books, these sales books are a bit like for me. They're a bit like a World Eleven football team. So I've got 11 chapters. Would I include one of his chapters in my thus World far. Eleven that I've read thus far? What, thus far? That would actually make it in. Oh, Really? I think that would make it in because I just think that a lot of people don't know what theirs and their company's value proposition what is. What position would it play? No, no, but you get my metaphor though. Yeah, it, it would be somewhere in it. It'd be eight percent of a sales book that, and actually, does Anarino, who everybody loves, and I think he's a great guy and a great book. Does Anarino cover that as well as this guy? No, he doesn't. Not in that book, but no. I'd, be inter- I'd be interested as we did say well, we'd get Anthony back yeah, on the show. We'd read some of his books that I have. I, I have ever read as a sales. 
person and sales recruiter ever covered that? No, they haven't. It's very clear. Mm, I, 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 I did enjoy that. Yeah, and let's be clear, I don't, you know, the book isn't the favourite book I've ever read, but that's what you asked me earlier on, how's it going? It's going okay. I'm, this guy just looks at things from an angle that is, is, is different to me, and I have to read it and think, Mike, stop me so pig-headed. What, what angle is he looking at it from? Yeah, I think this is a guy that's different to me and you. Mm, correct. But it doesn't mean he's lesser to me and you. No, it he's doesn't buying. mean he's wrong. You've just got to listen to Correct. Him. He's just got a slightly different approach to selling. It's very clear he's had a fabulous career and he's a top guy. And I think there is a certain sector of the market where, actually, I think this book would will be a game changer for some people. Yeah, it's like I say, you know, if you started your life at Xerox and have been selling for 20 years and worked in some big, well-known or slick selling machine, you're not going to like this book. No. But, you know, like I, I dealt with a lady in the, uh, uh, about a year ago. Suddenly, I know she's out of work and she's actually out of selling now. Right. Um, she's left the profession. Um, and I know who you mean. If she'd read that book, good book for her. That would have been a game changer for because her. Because do you know what? The because other books, she wouldn't, have picked, she wouldn't have picked it up and picked, run with them. Because, absolutely. And I know that she the key got, complaint... She ain't going to read Jeb Blount Fanatical Prospecting and do any of it. She'll no, do none of it. The key complaint the client had... When, when, when we talked and I'd said, oh, we've parted company with so-and-so, and I was I'm sorry to hear that. Um, and we talked about it, and the client's point was that the individual concerned was really good at having lots of chats, lots of lovely conversations, lots of lovely meetings. She'd come out of a meeting and the, and the client would say to her, how'd you get on? And she'd say, oh, they were lovely. Correct. And if you followed James And actually, Muir, in her, at heart, that person wanted to succeed as a salesperson. You didn't know how. But actually, she didn't know in her brain, actually, I've got to be coming out of these meetings with an advance. Something that requires energy from the and client. And the, the conscious, yeah, the conscious knowledge of, shit, that meeting was a continuation, not an advance. Yeah, Damn she, it. she will have just gone to loads of meetings. Loads. thought she was doing well. An absolute... She'll have worked her absolute socks off. My client said she was an utter, utter, 100-hour-a-week grafter on the road at five in the morning, mm. home at 10 at night, three, four meetings a day. But they were all lovely chats. Yeah, yeah. She was killing herself, this woman. It's blown her out and it's blown her out completely. Yep, yep. And that's and the a- point about the book, really. And actually, what's sad is, if you'd given that book to her two so, years ago, read it and do because it. she's a bright girl, she'd have gone, oh, right, okay, I see. Yes. My meetings are continuing and not advancing. And so, whilst I'm not, bouncing off the walls about this that makes me go hold on a minute this is actually just as relevant as any other book we've read on the show and that and that was my point at the start of the show I'm enjoying it particularly compared to others not really for but a ho- it, whole host of but reasons is it, but is it right and, and, and is it worth reading yeah it's 100%. yeah because I've got a bit of a downer on it because it's it, it, well it's just ri- come off the back of Anarino there's an out and out salesman yes and I, I don't like the whole this is, you know, the whole thing about old school tactic. I don't like the sort of disparagement of... Well, you, you, you're, you're sat there be feeling marginally offended. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to alienate a certain sector of the sales profession that actually respects technique. It's going to alienate the ones who don't have an open mind to see something from somebody else's point of view. Ooh. It is though, isn't it? Yeah. Because so, it's going to alienate a lot of people. This guy will have earned more than them. I bet this guy's earned plenty of money and I bet he's closed loads of business. Correct. And I bet he's closed loads of business using that methodology and thinking about continuation advance. Well, you think about one of the references who I don't, I've never heard of. I've never heard of his company. J. Kelly Skeen, Vice President Sales, Next Gen Healthcare. 
he's obviously sold him some sales training. Well, let's be clear, Jonathan. You play a fair few sales care software sales people. Sales care software sales people. So you knew what I meant. I did. Um, are they following a process that's as good as this? No. Very few in healthcare. There you go. So there's your answer, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, actually, now that there we... are ex-clinicians. In, in fact, actually, yeah. If I look at... If you look at the desk I run, where I spend a lot of my time, you know, 30 to 50% of my time in healthcare, and a lot of the people I deal with are either ex-pharmacists or ex-clinicians, in many respects, if they said... To, if I had a candidate on the phone today... Which book should I read? You'd say this. You I'm would, thinking you of... Say, I'm, I'm going on holiday, Johnny. It's half term. I've booked a last minute trip to Thailand. I'm going to read a sales book on the plane. What am I going for? You're not, you actually, are not going to say fanatical prospecting, are you? No, I'm not. Actually, I think I'm going to recommend this. And that's my point. That's why it's not such a bad book. But we get frustrated actually, with it because he didn't really like salespeople in the mass market salespeople that we deal with. You know, my, yes. my ERP guys, should they read this book? No. Nope. Because you and I have a little bit of a confirmation bias towards the slightly rougher, tougher, gruffer hmm. Well, that's the majority guy. of the market, though. Because we spend a lot of time with them and we're a lot more used to them. Mm. And a lot of the rougher, tougher, gruffer guys we deal with would look at this and go... Well, don't you like salespeople? Do you want to stop patronising me, fella? Correct. But actually, when you read the book correctly, it's all right. But actually, a lot of the people that we deal with, many of whom are eminently successful, but perhaps could be more so, for example, in healthcare or other markets like that, ex-clinicians or ex or where you've come out of pre-sales, if actually, I, I do think this is a good book for the not-natural sales guy. Well, well, one of my mates is um, he's leaving a big bank where he's worked for a long time, and he's been head of future projects and financial modelling. Right. And he said, right, I quite fancy doing an account management role, selling into the finance market. CPM stuff, right. he'd be good in the CPM market. That's a point. He's a qualified accountant. He'd be brilliant. So he's a qualified accountant, worked at a bank for 20 years. Yeah. No sales training. Quite a softly spoken but chap. Personable. Personable, very bright, you know, very, very bright, clearly. Which book should he read? That's a good start, perfect close. Depending Bear on mind, he's never been a salesman. Depending ever. on whether he's going to get any appointments. Or well, yeah. Anyway, that notwithstanding, so rattling on a little bit about it. Yeah, so we've it. done four chapters this week, and I think what we'll do next week is we'll go all the way through it. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go all the way through to chapter... Well, I've read the whole book now. We've both read the whole book, because obviously we're in... 15 minutes time we've actually got uh, the, the author on the show but you guys won't get to hear that until we've been through the other chapters so uh, it's been a great show we are enjoying it it's a different one for us than this one the perfect close I guess it's time to put the closing titles up Lauren oh and that's it thank you goodbye <laughs> <laughs>